Are robots taking our jobs? We know automation's good for farming, but is it good for the workforce? I'm a big fan of employing people. Uh, it, it adds life to a business. On this week's programme, we look at the pros and the cons, and later, lambing in the snow that wasn't expected. Uh, the snow, that is. Obviously, the lambs were expected. I'm off to try and find my lamb that was born yesterday. Give it a jacket. And then I'm going to rush to work and see... What on earth is happening there? The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Yes, it's uh, been an odd week weather-wise, hasn't it? Snow in Lancashire, which actually caused a 24-car pile-up on the M55. Uh, we'll hear soon from one farmer affected by the snow there during lambing. Elsewhere, hailstorms, rain. Well, it is April. April showers and all that. Just days, though, after we were enjoying a fairly warm, sunny spell. Uh, our agronomist, Sean Sparling, wanted some rain. Uh, are you happy now, Sean? Hello. Yes, morning, Sean. Well, another week of weather. Who would have thought that? Cool. Um Yeah, very different weather to last week, though, isn't it? Uh, Last week, we were in the high teens, 19s. It was sunny, there were unbroken, cloudless skies. These crops, you could almost hear them. You could almost hear the whooshing noise of them sucking up nitrogen. You could see the chlorophyll starting to fluoresce out there in the field. And things really did look like they were moving rapidly. Then they got the shock of Sunday and the rest of this week. We've rarely been in double figures. We've had frost nearly every night. Drop of rain on Tuesday. I took nine millimetres of rain at home, but there were people less than 10 miles away from me who didn't take three mil very variable and when you look at the rainfall i've now had 88 millimeters of rain since christmas eve that's for the first quarter of 2019 i've had barely just over three inches that really is not enough but there is nothing we can do about the weather there's no point fretting and worrying about it we get what we get it is what it is 80 percent of this job is in the hands of the man in the sky um the only other bit we can influence is that other 20 percent so as long as we're taking opportunities to do jobs when we should be doing them as long as we're not missing opportunities to get um, a treatment onto a field to correct nutrient deficiency or give it some food or nitrogen or protect it against disease or pests that's all we can do we are in the hands of the gods when it comes to the weather now crops haven't really changed an awful lot in the last week they're still looking more or less the same as they did at the end of last week uh, because physiologically they won't have moved disease won't have got any worse weeds haven't really increased or changed over the last few days so we haven't missed anything but it's important you're prepared to go on fields which require you to treat them as and when the opportunity arises now as we move forward into april we're going to get questions asked well we've still got this t naught to put on do we put it on remember t naught is a management tool it's to dry out rust in the field protect the canopy protect leaf four get a green canopy ready for when the growth stage 32 the t1 timing leaf three emergent timing happens upon you it is not compulsory so if the weather beats you and you don't put it on there is little point putting a fungicide on for t naught just for the sake of doing it and then four days later putting your t1 on speak to your agronomist either combine the two if the situation dictates or forget one altogether because you'll do less good with the T0 and the T3. The T1 and the T2, growth stage 32 fungicide, leaf 3 emergence and flag leaf emergence fungicides are crucial. It's vital you get those two right. Either side of that we're frittering around the edges, particularly in a season where we've got catchy conditions. You may be better spraying leaf 3 when it's emerging and it's only 50% out rather than waiting for it to fully emerge just so that you can put your T0 on. It's important though that the 
these crops are as free of nutrient problems as they can be. So correcting those nutrient deficiencies probably takes priority. Disease pressure isn't so high at the moment. There is septoria, there is rust, there is mildew, but speak to your agronomist and plan your strategy accordingly. Um, oilseed rape pushed nicely into flower in this last seven days. Obviously, oilseed rape has its roots a lot deeper, so it's not at the whim of the fluctuations in temperature like a cereal crop, which is much shallower rooted. So they've pushed on quite nicely. Oilseed rape in flower, obviously you don't need to be putting pollen beetle sprays on. They're now pollinators in there. You should not be putting insecticides on flowering rape. But don't drop your guard on your backward bits of rape where the pigeons have had them. Don't remove your bangers and your flashes and your kites just yet because pigeons have got little legs. They will concentrate all their efforts on these backward bits of oilseed rape. And if they're still in green bud, you should still monitor those crops. For pollen beetle, although the majority will now have migrated into these yellow crops because all they want is that lovely pollen. Haven't seen a swallow yet, by the way, um, picking off any pollen beetles, so they're not doing their job just yet. Um, so the other things we're seeing, sugar beet emerging that managed to go in the ground three weeks ago, it's caught some frost this week. If you were thinking of putting a herbicide on those sugar beet fields, you want to stay out because the effect of that frost on emerging cotyledon sugar beet makes it very, very susceptible to damage from caustic herbicide mixes. So because the weather's now cooler, we've had um, soil temperatures falling down from nine and a half back to the, the mid fives where they are now. Nothing's really going to change. Polygonums aren't going to romp away in these conditions. Bide your time. Make sure the crop is safe before you go in. We've also seen quite an incident of wheat bulb fly in spring barley and spring wheat to some extent and late drilled spring wheat. Uh, winter wheat in some ex to some extent but there's nothing you can do about wheat bullfly it's worse on the sandier the brashier fields particularly after sugar beet if you've got austral plush on you're in better nick than if you didn't put austral plush on but there is nothing chemically with no insecticide that will deal with wheat bullfly all you can do is roll the crop to try and make it tiller out and also give it some early nitrogen correct nutrient deficiencies to try and make it as healthy as possible to withstand the effect now the ones i was finding the other day the last themselves looked like they were in second malt they were about five mil long and starting to become quite fat and sedentary and that means within the next couple of weeks they should drop out and pupate but on a crop which hasn't got many tillers they will do significant damage so make sure you're aware of the issue and if you need to get the rolls out there in those fields and get some nitrogen on pea and beans well beans in particular emerging very quickly now and with the low germination of a lot of the seed stocks this year people put high seed rates on and it looks like that germination was irrelevant because i think every blooming beans come in my field in some areas i've got 100 plants a square meter when i need 45 to 50 so we do have a little leeway. Just because you see a bit of notching, it doesn't mean you have to get an insecticide on. I haven't seen an awful lot of notching. I've certainly seen nothing that warrants me going out and getting any insecticide on. So just monitor that situation. If the plant is growing faster than the notching and it is outgrowing the notching, you do not need to put an insecticide on. So going forward, hopefully we get a little bit warmer next week. We start, hopefully we get a bit of rain. We could do with a bit of that and things will move forward. So all you can do is make sure that your crops are in the best condition that they can possibly be ready for whatever mother nature decides she's going to throw at us useful advice as ever thank you sean sparling sparling agronomy services and hearing from sean that reminds me it's the lincolnshire rural charities dinner this coming thursday at the epic center at the lincolnshire showground monies from the event will go to lrsn and the lincolnshire agricultural society and the john egging trust 
and Sean Sparling himself will be your MC for the night, so well worth attending. Uh, you can find out more details online, either uh, through LRSN or the uh, Lincolnshire Agricultural Society or the John Egging Trust, all the details on their social media as well. Now, Sean mentioned the weather and Mother Nature is certainly throwing challenges our way. It is clear that uh, our climate has been changing over the past few years. We've seen the warmest February for some time and, as mentioned, this week April started with hailstorms and some snow in some parts of the country. Well, this was Hannah Jackson, a farmer in Cumbria, taking to Twitter as at Red Shepherdess after the snow fell there, virtually without warning, at the height of lambing. When you finally think that you're going to be over the worst of the weather, it's lambing time, it'll be okay, and you wake up to this. It's like being in a winter wonderland in April. I'm off to try and find my lamb that was born yesterday. Give it a jacket. And then I'm going to rush to work and see what on earth is happening there with the other 13,000 sheep that are about to lamb. Found this guy, he's cold. He's been born. And they're currently trying to walk back two sets of singles. Back to the shed so they're warm. I was meant to be in work nearly an hour ago it's just it's unreal it is worth uh, checking Hannah's full videos some handy tips on keeping lambs safe and warm as well it's on a Twitter feed at Red Shepherdess if you want to see them for yourself now of course the weather this week was nothing compared to last year's beast from the east and last summer of course we then had the drought causing problems for forage and straw and feed paul winder is a merchant from hannah jackson's part of the world in cumbria uh, this week he collected the last of the straw from andrew ward's farm at lednam so uh, things improving I wouldn't have said it's been as bad as they expected because of the weather's been good and kind all of the winter, really. Um, so, yeah, people made plans for it and we've got through it relatively well. So is the situation then not as bad as people thought and are, are, are the animals started to be turned out on the lowland or is it still a bit too wet there? There is a few animals starting to be turned out. Um, over this month there will be more. But, yeah, the, it hasn't been as bad as what we hoped because... As I say, the weather was better all winter. And in the summer, uh, people were feeding forage, their winter supplies early. Was that the same in your area? Yeah, there would be quite a lot would start feeding a little bit earlier. Um, but, they've, yeah, it's wonderful how they've, they've spun it out with anything they could get their hands on. A lot more straw being used. Um, and, yeah, they've managed to get through relatively well. Normally, barley straw is, is better than wheat straw. But some of our straw you've fetched, the wheat straw, the good quality wheat straw, you've, they've been using that as barley straw. Yeah, most of the good quality wheat straw probably will have gone through the mixer wagons for the diet feeders for, uh, for the dairy cows. And prices of, of, uh, of everything up there, it was really high at one stage in harvest time. What, what was the sort of history and how did that pan out? It, the, the prices were too high There was earlier on because everybody thought there was going to be this big shortage but with an early spring, now there's a lot of crop left over and people barely can give it away. Early on, there was people paying £40, £50 pound a bale of haylage, round bale of haylage. Um, and now there's been some advertised at £25 pound a bale and not been sold. 
So it's it's not been as bad as what what people are, are saying, really, and, and as it was last year. What what's it going to be like going forward this next year? Do you think people are going to be out of the the problem, or is there going to some that's going to still be in a mess? Providing the crops grow and the summer's as kind as the winter was, um, we'll probably bulk back out and get back going and back on our feet before next back end and turn in there. And your area uh, is more sheep, is it, or have you got quite a lot of cattle as well? It'll be, this is a very big sheep area, but there's a lot of cattle in the area as well. Not that many dairy farms, but a lot more bigger suckler herds, um, which they've done very, very well, but we weren't hit with the major drought that a lot of them were hit. Right, now that's interesting. So where you've uh, been this last few months, picking straw up, I know you travel about the country uh, quite a bit. Where's the sort of main areas you've picked straw and, and uh, produce up from? We All the straw this time has been coming out of Yorkshire and Lincolnshire. We've led nothing from further across. We go Warwickshire normally, but the droughts over there made there wasn't plenty of straw to lead out of that area anyways. So do you think then, the way we've gone at the minute, uh, there was a lot of hysteria and a lot of people were worrying unnecessarily last summer, or do you think that was justified as it's turned out? It was justified. If if the winter had been different, been a hard winter, there would have definitely been a main, major shot of crop. Um, but because of the winter's been kind, there's an early spring, um, the people that was panicking at Christmas, the panic's over now, and uh, they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's positive straw merchant Paul Winder there. In a moment, Kit has the latest from Open Field, and we're with Matthew Naylor as it's claimed robots are taking our jobs. Well, another week's gone by and we're still no clearer on what's happening with Brexit, but what if it is no deal? Cereal farmers are warning such a scenario would have catastrophic consequences on their businesses. Some are reporting overseas buyers are already cancelling contracts as the uncertainty rumbles on. And millers are also struggling to quote prices to customers and warn there could be job losses and mill closures and the price of flour and bread could double if tariffs are applied. Alex Waugh is from the National Association of British and Irish Flour Millers. It's really tough. You can make all the plans you want, um, but, but when the deadline for, for implementing them keeps moving, it means you, you, know, you just don't know quite what to say to your customers. And um, one, of the, one of the challenges for us is, is in relation to exports, where we're expecting, if there's a no deal, that our exports are going to be have big tariffs on them, 50% or so. So when your customer rings up and says, can you tell me the price next week or next month? You say, well, yes, but it could be another 50% on top of that. Uh, and, and you can imagine that uncertainty is, is killing for us as suppliers. It's killing for them uh, as customers because they don't know quite how they're going to manage that in their own marketplace. And in relation to our, our customers elsewhere in the European Union, it's more or less an invitation for them to go somewhere else and buy from another supplier who remains in the European Union. So that's, that's pretty challenging for us and for them because clearly we've got a long history of a relationship that's built up over many years and the UK will be the place they come for, for that flower. And, and it's not a small quantity. We're talking about uh, 250,000 tonnes of flour that we sell every year to the, to the European Union and another 350,000, 400,000 tonnes that goes out in the form of baked goods. So that's 15% of our turnover, uh, which is at risk. So that, you know, we really don't want to have no deal. That's, that's just going to be extremely challenging for all the businesses in, in our chain. There are businesses in 
the floundering sector who are exporting 30-40% of their production. And the Republic of Ireland is our biggest customer, but it's also going to France, Germany, other parts of the European Union. And for companies who have got, you know, that's where their market is, suddenly to lose overnight 40% of their customers would be a disaster. Uh, and they, in, in the end, if that business can't be recouped in some way, that means job losses and factory closures. So it, it, it's enormously frustrating. Um, investments that involve trade with third countries are being put on hold. Uh, and it's becoming increasingly embarrassing in conversations with our customers and suppliers overseas who ask what's happening and we don't know what to say. Uh, and if there's one message that, that I think everyone would like to get across is, for heaven's sake, please, get on, make a decision, don't have no deal, and then we can get on and, and make the best of it. Well, that's the views of uh, Alex War of the National Association of British and Irish Flour Millers. As ever, we'd love to hear your thoughts and comments, whether you agree or disagree with what uh, Alex had to say. Get in touch through the website and social media, at Farming Show is our Twitter account. Now, we'll discuss automation in a moment. First, let's get the open field update from Kit Dickinson. What's happening, Kit? Well, the wheat market this week has drifted down by just over a pound. This is down to currency and the volatile nature of Brexit. Wheat homes are now beginning to get cover until the end of the season, with the May position getting very full for most homes across the country. Milling premiums are still good and worth taking advantage of while they're still available. Looking forward to new crop, there is still very little cause for concern in the UK, Most crops look very well, and having spoken to a lot of farmers in the area, they're expecting average yields for harvest coming. Outside the UK, there are very few problems. Germany and America do have cause for concern, but this is not relating back to our market, so the price spread between old crop and new crop is still at £20-£25. Little fresh news on the wheat market. Going forward to oilseed rape, Oilseed rape has risen slightly this week, again off the back of currency, and we can now achieve the all-important 300 x the farm or x the store for some parts of Lincolnshire. It is worthwhile keeping an eye on new crop, with prices edging towards 300 x the farm. This wouldn't be a bad place to start for some growers. Barley, no movement on barley recently. The prices are still down at the bottom and have come off the highs on both feed and malting. The coming spring and early summer will have an effect on these prices. Let's see what we get this year. Last year, very wet spring, followed by a dry summer, brought feed prices up. But only time will tell what we get this year. Moving on to prices this week. Feed wheat X the farm for May is 162 to 164. Harvest is 139 to 141. November 19 is 143 to 145. Milling premiums are currently 22 to 24 pounds. Oil seed rate for May is 300 to 302, harvest 294 to 296, and November 19, 298 to 302. Barley for May, 130 to 132, harvest off the combine as available will be 124 to 126, and November 19, 129 to 130. Malting premiums are still in the region of £25.
Thank you. Short but sweet. Kit Dickinson at Open Field. I meant the report, not Kit. Anyway, uh, we've often discussed automation or robotics on the programme and how it's needed in some areas of farming. But a recent report has found it could lead to one and a half million people losing their jobs nationwide. The Office of National Statistics has found that supermarket checkout assistants have already taken the brunt of the changes, 25% of such jobs disappearing, according to the ONS. But it also finds that tyre fitters, the laundry service and farm workers are also at risk, with a possible 15% drop in workers there. South Holland and Rutland are two areas said to be most exposed to automation. Andy Marsh went to see Matthew Naylor. He's MD of Naylor's Flowers in South Holland. I think that most of the manufacturers are looking at products which will uh, take out manual labour uh, with a questions over how many people will be available. That seems to be the most pressing need. And you were talking to me about flowers and grading. Just explain that. Yeah, we're a flower production business. So uh, one of the things that, well, the two main areas that we have that employ lots of people are harvesting flowers in the field and then grading them, sorting them into bouquets. And it is now possible to do that using um, photo identification so that you can select flowers uh, so that they match exactly at the right growth stage. Presumably you're still going to need people to actually pick, in your case, flowers for other farmers, uh, various crops. Is that still going to be the case or is there a way in automation of getting around that? Well, I think ultimately, looking at what's happened through history, uh, we're constantly on a treadmill of... Um, engineering mechanised solutions to everything so I think I don't think this is something that will suddenly come and will reach a, an end point I think it'll carry on you know for a good long while yet what is the feeling in the farming community are they welcoming automation generally speaking are they concerned about it or taking a middle path it's a cost is the um, always the biggest measure for a business like ours uh, we have to be competitive with what we do so um, it's always a matter of finding out whether what you're buying can be paid off over an appropriate number of years because the the bit that matters is what does it cost per potato or per cauliflower or per bunch of flowers. And so, yeah, that's that's really what we measure it on. And presumably, I mean, if you buy a piece of machinery, there are certain obvious advantages, but also people have advantages over machines too. Yeah, we're, uh, I'm a big fan of employing people uh, there. It adds life to a business. It's um, it's fairly soulless to work in a, an industrial estate with uh, with just a load of machines. And uh, however good a robot is on a farm, it's never going to shop in the village shop or uh, support the uh, children's pantomime or do all of those nice things that we need in rural communities like this. I mean, how black are things? Obviously, you have concerns about rural communities, as you say there. But is that a real concern that some of these communities could die? Or is it just perhaps not the same level that they were once? It's difficult to know what the future holds, really, in that respect. Um, where, where things will go. But it certainly it's been a problem since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution that people moved, and they have done globally, move from rural areas into towns and cities where there's more, just more stuff. It seems to suit human beings better for some reason. And you feel automation may change that to a certain extent or to a large extent? Or how do you see that playing out? Um, you would assume if we have more robots and fewer people working, then ultimately that does mean um, fewer people needed 
in the countryside, fewer career opportunities, if you like. Uh, but there's always new things coming along. And so uh, as we move to a green economy, hopefully things that had been industrial might become more natural. Probably we'll look for more natural solutions to the way that we manufacture whatever, fuel, cosmetics, energy. So maybe that will help. But it's difficult to predict. I'm just a simple farmer, not a futurologist. Certainly farmers are looking at automation now. Do you feel there's a certain reluctance to be one of the first who takes up some of these new devices, some of this new machinery, and a lot will wait and see how others do it and how it beds in before they take the plunge? Yeah, that's true. In farming, you do tend to have trailblazers, some people who like to have the first new technology. Uh, And as the old saying goes, it's always the second mouse that gets the cheese. If you buy the first machine, it's usually pretty expensive and it it doesn't quite uh, work correctly. So, yeah, there are always then the second tier of adopters, people who like to see whether it's working uh, working properly and then there's a very cynical tale of farmers who uh, you know who like to stick with the tried and tested ways of doing things what about lincolnshire farmers are they more cautious less cautious i get about a little bit um through the work that i do with oxford farming conference and uh farmers in lincolnshire and and farmers in herefordshire to some extent are recognized as quite progressive people who like to have the latest of everything so uh, and listeners will know as they drive around Lincolnshire it's very rare that you see a field of, of a crop that's been planted or sown that isn't exactly straight and that's down to GPS well this is relatively new technology but that's been adopted very widely so just finally to sum up you feel there are some opportunities some risks sort of a balance for you you're taking yeah, that's it. I mean, the future's unknown, isn't it? So we'll always snap up any technology that solves problems and makes life easier. But uh, the bit that makes life fun in the mornings is that we don't know quite what uh, what's in store for us. Looking at the opportunities, Matthew Naylor there at Naylor's Flowers, chatting with Andy Marsh. We don't know quite what's in store for us, he says. <laughs> A bit like the weather, I suppose. What is in store this week? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it should be a bit drier once we get today out of the way anyway. Easterly winds will mean it feels a little bit chillier with uh, maybe some overnight frost possible again in the week. Today, though, fairly mild, actually. Highs of 15. As I say, a few showers around. The wind from the east-northeast at around 15 miles an hour, dropping to around 5 from the north overnight with overnight lows of about 5 as well. Into the new week, tomorrow those winds start from the north and thanks to high pressure it will stay mild, so temperatures in their mid-teens. But by Tuesday, with the wind more from the east, we'll see them drop down to around 7 at best with maybe some rain in places. Overnight lows will generally be around 5, but they could be lower in more exposed parts, especially towards the end of the week where we might even see an early frost once again. Of course, that could change and the hourly forecast will keep a check on that for you. For now, though, that is the forecast. As mentioned, it is the Rural Charities Dinner on Thursday at the Lincolnshire Showground, and next Sunday it's Countryside Links at the Showground. A great opportunity to find out more about our countryside and farming, like a, a live edition of this very programme, if you will. That's uh, next Sunday. We'll hear from Rosie Crust about it on next week's programme, the day of the event itself. Back on your radio on Sunday, and of course here on the podcast as well, shortly afterwards. Until next week, uh, take Take care.